welcome to the Tron Church Talking Points podcast. I'm Casey and I'm here with Phil and Willie and today we're going to be talking about some of the main points that came up over the Sunday services. Um, so Phil, just to start off with, um, I think there was a lot of amazing, great general wisdom from Proverbs um, and it just covered a lot of things to do with conflict and obviously conflict is something that we can come up against um, in our work, at school, at uni, amongst our friends and family. Um, and I just thought, how, you know, it'd be good to think about how do we deal with our conflict, especially um, in sort of wider circles, not just in the church. Um, sure, well, there was so much to talk about. <laughs> I've come away thinking I must listen to that again and chew it over. So I'm really glad for the chance to talk about it now. But one thing, just looking at conflict maybe within the household of, of God was when Paul was talking about being commanded to seek restoration when there's conflict. Uh, it's not an optional thing. I was really struck by that. Also really struck by um, what restoration is not. That's one thing that's really stuck in my mind and maybe we could talk about this to, to get us going. But it was, I think it was just a, a, a half a sentence he said, but restoration is not going to a person who's maybe wronged you and wanting them to feel how badly you hurt, you, you've been hurt by them, you know, uh, and demanding a, an apology from them. That is, that is not what restoration... I think, I think that's a really radical thing for the day and age that we, we live in, I think. Yeah. We see conflict all over the place. It's funny that because uh, I was just reading an article the other day, can't remember where, but it was on this very issue of the demand for apologies being the big thing now. You know, uh, so-and-so will be posting on social media their outrage about something that somebody said, and they say, I'm waiting for an apology. And, um, uh, you know, we had it, didn't we, the whole Jeremy Clarkson business and, and Harry and Meghan demanding an apology. But the funny thing was then he gave an apology and the apology was rejected. So, uh, actually, that tells you that the demanding of an apology is not a route to reconciliation, but actually... Uh, it's part of an exacting of revenge. Yeah, it's one-upmanship, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah, and um, and that's the, that verse. Uh, it was Proverbs seventeen, verse nine, isn't it? Whoever covers an offence seeks love, mm. but he who repeats a matter separates mm. uh, close friends. So, the, the the one is a desire for reconciliation, mm. um, and the price of that very often is is covering an offence. Love. Yes. Is it possible wow. love covers a multitude of sins, sins yeah. because it seeks to bring restoration, reconciliation. Yes. But what we do by nature mm. is the opposite of that. It's wanting to repeat mm. these things <clears throat> and blow them up. And, mm. and demanding an apology is bringing the whole thing back up to the surface again. Yes. And actually, it, that does not bring reconciliation. That further divides people, doesn't it? And I guess that's part of the sort of victim culture that we're living in isn't it that instead of covering it in love people want to be oh no I'm the victim I'm going to remain the victim for as long as possible because that makes you popular for some reason and I don't powerful know. yeah yes so the you know the now in the way we're looking at things to be the victim is to be the one who holds all the cards yes, yeah. Uh, yeah you you, yeah. you then have power over other people um mm. because mm. you claim that sacred status of victimhood mm. and therefore um you're mm. seen to be Righteous by mm -hmm. seeking to exact punishment upon mm. upon others, but what that's really doing is mm. um, is is 
you are the one who is exhibiting self-righteousness and you are the one who is pointing up the log in the other person's eye and thinking it's only a speck, if anything at all, in your eye. And Paul was talking about that, wasn't he? The real reconciliation um, and real uh, resolving conflict often is begins with seeing that that speck of conflict that you are having a problem with in somebody else's eye is actually perhaps being caused by the log that's in your own eye. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that's where we struggle, isn't it? It's such a crucial thing as well for for. You know, if you have conflict in the workplace with someone who's not a Christian, you're known as a Christian. You know, if you're shown to be someone who is <laughs> not self-conscious on, of your own sinfulness and your own weakness, never asking, am I to blame for this conflict? But always, like, walking about demanding an apology from people. It's it's not going to be showing off the beauty of the family likeness of our, mm-hmm. our Heavenly Father. And I mean, there's a challenge there always for us, isn't, isn't there? Because... Um, sometimes the conflict that we have with in our relationships, whether it's work relationships or often, often the areas of real struggle is family relationships, aren't there? Yeah, and extended course. family, and so. But sometimes it is because there's a conflict over faith, because there is a resentment of our Christian faith or a dislike of it, or a sure. you know that 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 often is the problem, um, and that can be difficult to deal with. Mm-hmm. But it can also become an easy excuse for us that the conflict is, oh, I'm being persecuted because I'm a Christian, whereas in fact it could be just because I'm being obnoxious. And, yes. <laughs> and yeah. we have to be, you know, we have, yeah. Proverbs is so good, isn't it, at seeing both sides of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. On the one hand this, but on the other hand, yeah. don't forget yeah. that. So, you know, in that verse there about covering an offence, Paul went on to say, but yes, the very next verse is, but a rebuke goes into it goes deep into a man of understanding. So he's he's saying he's saying there's a time to cover sins and seek restoration, but that doesn't mean you sweep it under the carpet and ignore mm. there's a problem. And uh, again, to go back to what I was saying there about about the the feeling, we we can fall into the victimhood mentality and say I'm being made a victim because uh, I'm a Christian. We've got to be very careful of that. Yes. Now that may be true, but if it is, the Lord and the apostles mm. and the Bible tells us how to deal with that. And part of it is to rejoice when people yeah. persecute you for my <laughs> yes. sake. <laughs> yes. Not, yeah. Don't play the victim. It's been granted to you that you should suffer it's for the sake of Christ. You suffer. So, yeah. um, so if we are feeling hard done to for being a Christian, that very fact in itself probably tells us, well, hang on, I'm not looking at this the way the Bible tells me to. <laughs> and it may well be that actually it's not because of that at all. It's just that I'm being a pain in the neck. And I wonder whether how often we, when we have a conflict with someone, we're just so quick to see where they've gone wrong and how often do we actually just stop and think, okay, yes. where was I obnoxious yeah. or, you know, not prepared to like check my own heart? Because mm-hmm. I think what Paul was saying, um, his first point about fruit um, and actually, sorry, sorry, the second point about the source um, of conflict is the fact that it's coming from ourselves it's from the person's heart Mm -hmm. and I think that is something that's really hard to accept because we're proud and we don't want to be thinking oh the conflict's got anything to do with me I'm an angel (laughs) um but it was just really striking just to be thinking okay if there's a conflict you really need to be thinking okay where am I going wrong here how have I not been helpful for that that situation and you know (laughs) so often it's probably because I've not been prepared or maybe we're not prepared to humble ourselves and and maybe accept the fact that we are partly to blame um, I think another thing that Paul 
mentioned, which I thought was just really striking and helps us think about like bigger picture stuff is also what we're listening to. Mm-hmm. So Paul yes. mentioned the fact that um, it's not verse just... Verse 4 of chapter yeah. 17, isn't it? An evildoer listens to wicked lips and yeah. a lie gives ear to a mischievous yeah. tongue. Yeah. That's who we're listening to. Yeah. The wrong things and the wrong Yes. People. And the second half of verse 9, you know, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. It's continuing yeah. to carry on talking mm-hmm. about stuff. Yeah. And then thinking about not just not listening to evil things within the church itself but also what are we listening to out with um, what are we exposing ourselves to during the week yes. when we're not in church um, I think we, that's yeah. such an important thing I, I was uh, after the evening service I was speaking with T.Y. last night and we, we got on to talking about that and the media and so on and I was making the point that a Christian uh, always has to be sceptical not cynical that's different, cynicism is corrosive, cynicism is the attitude that uh, you, you can never trust anybody anywhere any of the time. Uh, but scepticism uh, is a right biblical thing because we know that uh, the Lord is truth and his word is truth, but the world uh, is a world of lies and uh, the world lies in the hands of evil. And so we, we, we must be sceptical. And we live in a world where if people say something enough times, then it becomes true. And so we were talking about this in terms of some of the issues that, that kids have with uh, at school with, you know, oh, science has disproved religion. Everybody knows that. But almost always when something, somebody says, oh, everybody knows that. Well, the question is, well, how does everybody know that? And very often the reason is because it's just what everybody says yeah. all of the yeah. time. And you listen to people <clears throat> who say that all of the time. And we have to be very discerning. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Adverts, you know, just bombard us all the time. Well, and you and you think, oh, I just ignore all of that. It doesn't affect me. But you know that is not true because the 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 businesses of the world would not spend trillions of dollars every year on doing that if it didn't have an effect. Yeah, yeah. And everything is adver- advertising actually now in the media. The news is advertising. Everything is advertising. And so, who are we listening to? Is a really really important question. Are we listening with discernment? And, and most of the things are like catchphrases instead of actually people engaging their brain about the actual issues itself. I mean, you notice that with things like the pro life work that happens um, often you hear the conversations are being oh it's my body my choice but then you ask a secondary question so where did you come up with that idea they've got very little to nothing to say to that it's interesting the start of proverbs chapters one to nine it pictures solomon's son going into a city and there's two women crying out to him Mm-hmm. And they're crying out in the same place, in the city, amongst the streets, amongst the marketplace. And it's Lady Wisdom and mm-hmm. Lady Folly. Mm-hmm. And Lady Folly tries to sound a lot like Lady Wisdom to try and seduce this young man's heart away. And he's in the middle, and that's why Solomon pleads again and again and again, listen to Lady Wisdom, shun Lady Folly. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, it goes hand in hand with the pro- Proverbs describes young people, actually, um, and others as being simple. That is, they're not wise or fools, but their hearts are open, open game to be seduced either way. And you want to give your heart to Lady Wisdom. And, but it's, that, it's striking, isn't it, the, the, you know, the voices in the same and, public square. Yeah, and the thing that, again, we, we, we don't realise is um, that with the sophistication of today's media and social media in particular is that we increasingly, the more we're involved in that, the more we live in an echo chamber where... The algorithms feed you things you want to hear. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you start 
getting really only one side of a thing yes. and you're constantly having your prejudices reinforced yes. by all the same things. Is that what people mean by confirmation bias type thing? Yeah, the idea? exactly yeah. that. And, and if every time you go onto social media, you see people saying the same things about the same mm. issues, you begin to think, well, everybody thinks that. But actually, what you don't realise is another whole branch of things where people are only ever seeing the exact opposite. <laughs> and they think that's the only thing people think. And th- so what do you think is the answer, really? Because if people are doing that, which I think a lot of people listening will be, what is a sort of good way of trying to tackle that? Well, probably the best way is to get off it altogether, to be frank. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, actually, I do think that probably is the answer for a lot of people. Um, because I think we are much less able to handle things than we think we are. Um, but at the very least, we have to learn to be um, very sceptical about everything. And so how do you decide? The question then is how do you decide who's right? How do you decide where the truth actually lies in a matter? Mm-hmm. And as Christians, we have uh, a very great advantage because we have access to unadulterated truth in the scriptures. Now we've got to handle the scriptures properly and responsibly and and so on because people can abuse that. But that is our plumb line. Mm. And uh, we should be asking the question every time. Every time we hear the phrase, oh, everybody knows that or everybody thinks this or this is the consensus. That's another one of the things that this is the consensus. (laughs) And, you know, you hear it a lot now with the scientific consensus, but actually... That is an oxymoron because the very definition of a consensus is a political word, not a scientific word. A scientific, you can't have a consensus. about it. It's about whether something is right or wrong. Either gravity sends things downwards or upwards. You don't have a consensus about that. It's either right or wrong. An experiment either works or it doesn't work. Something's either true or not. But, you know, so we have all of that sort of thing now. Oh, the consensus. or And what that means is it's very difficult, isn't it, to go against the consensus. But the Christian is called to be someone who goes against the consensus because we're going the narrow way, not the broad way. Uh, and so we've always got to be asking that critical question. Well, is that true? And bringing it back to Scripture and saying, well, Scripture I know is true. What does is, what is the Word of God tell me about this? Mm-hmm. And then look at that and say, well, what is the world trying to tell me about this? And as a believer, we have absolute confidence that if there's a conflict there, we we know which side of the argument we want to be on. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like Josh's phrase that he used a while back uh, where he said, you know, we're always being told on this issue we're on the wrong side of history. But what's far more important is being on the right side of reality. And the Christian is someone who should always be on the right side of reality because we have the reality yes. uh, of God's word to give us great clarity about the world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's true. And I think, um, and doing that together, not not isolated on your own but linking back to another sermon that we looked at previously in Proverbs is the theme of friendship and having that together with your church family and doing that in a you know accountable group you know as opposed to on your own on the internet on YouTube where there's absolutely no quality control Uh, you know. And that was one of Paul's last points, wasn't it? About being wise about who you, who your friends are, yeah. and choosing friends who can be cool. helping you keep accountable to like what's your way of thinking? Is it what the Bible actually yeah. tells us, or is it just what mm. the media is telling you and pumping you? Yeah. Um, so yeah. And having a trusted friend who loves you, who will also be able to say, "Brother, I think you might need to think about this." You know, in terms of 
or am I to blame for this particular conflict that's yeah. happened? Having people who speak the truth and love to you. Well, if you want to be a man of understanding, according to Proverbs 17, you have to be somebody who allows a rebuke to go deep. Mm. You know, that's not an easy thing, is it? Um, but Definitely not. Definitely but not. the opposite of that is to be someone with no understanding, to be a fool. Yeah. So somebody who will never take correction, never take a rebuke, or never consider that they could possibly be wrong, mm. is someone with no understanding, someone who's a fool, and someone who ultimately is going to make shipwreck of their life. Mm. And, yeah, we probably all know people that we can think are like that but you know the fact is we're, we've all got that tendency ourselves which is why we need to have others who will uh, uh, hold us accountable in every sphere of life from personal friendships to wider church work to church leadership I mean you find where things go wrong it's nearly always if you ask the question well who who was their good who were their good friends it's, it's, a, it's a very important question when you you always ask it when you when you hear of some disaster in somebody's life, particularly in, in leadership and Christian leadership that sort of thing. And, and and nearly always when you ask that question, the answer is well, they didn't really have one, didn't really have any. Um, and you're exposing yourself there to to great difficulty. A friend is made for adversity, <laughs> and made for the you know faithful of the wounds. Uh, of a friend, and so part of being a grown up Christian. It's becoming a person of understanding. It's being able to deal with those things, isn't it? They're not easy, but it's vital. And I think that links really helpfully to the morning service where Willie, um, it was just really helpful. Um, There's so much um, great stuff. And I think your last question, near to the last question was, can you really ignore the Bible as it explains the world so perfectly? And... um, as a Christian, you can say, absolutely, of course, um, you can't ignore the Bible. Um, but how can we, um, as Christians, build confidence and conviction, do you think, um, ourselves? Because we have the, the, the greatest gift in the world, isn't it, is God's revelation to us. And yeah, how can we use that and enjoy it um, to the best of for our life, but also for the lives of the people that we meet, whether it's at work, our friends, our family? Yeah, well, I mean, I was very encouraged on Sunday morning. I was speaking to somebody after the service who uh, has been just a few times recently uh, for the first time to church, and they were saying that um, they, you know, said it was it, it just didn't seem like ancient history at all. It seemed so contemporary and so so relevant well, to contemporary life. Excellent. Uh, well, I was encouraged by that, A, because I thought, well, uh, uh, that that is true, and if I'm managing to get that across, then hopefully I'm doing my job reasonably well. Um, but, I, but, it, but it should give great confidence because yeah. there's somebody who's very new to church who's uh, hearing that and, and coming to the understanding the Bible is absolutely irrelevant. The Bible is dealing with real life and real issues, and it's making sense of it. And I'm not sure that a lot of Christians always think that all the time. And we don't have the confidence. I mean, the number of times in my life that I've heard people say things like, oh, especially for young people, we don't want to, we don't want to overdo the Bible in case we put them off. I mean, <laughs> that's like saying, you know, I don't want to overdo having a good meal in case, you know, I don't, in case I enjoy it too much. I mean, this is absurd. Uh, in my experience... Non-Christians often are far more engaged and interested in what the Bible is saying than people who have been Christians for many years. Yeah. There's something badly wrong with that, isn't it? Yes. And I think it's, it's a lack of confidence. We think, oh, 
what can I bring somebody along to that doesn't have too much Bible in case it puts them off? Mm. Whereas the person who's actually mm. interested in finding out about God yeah. and finding out about the gospel wants to go to the place where they can really find out about it and get the most about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And um, a friend of mine who, who came to faith recently uh, ended up in an extremely, having tried various number of churches, an extremely sort of conservative and socially conservative church where uh, the sermons were an hour and a half long. And her comment was, well, it still wasn't long enough for me because I really wanted to learn more. And so coming back to it, if the Bible really does explain the world, we should be confident uh, in saying, well, this is what you need more than anything else. Yeah. Definitely. I think also the comfort, I think you spoke about it, the comfort that we have through coming to know God and his word is amazing because um, it, I think I'm not alone in um, the idea of like spiraling in a conversation where you're with a girlfriend or friend or whatever and you sort of think, and this is going wrong in the world and, and this is all so terrible and actually it's only in God's word where we know that actually it, we need to stop doing that and like think about the Lord and think about his yes. sovereignty, his care and like tough. his plan for yeah. the world that's coming. So mm. um and, but if you are not looking to that, if you're looking just to the world to be the saviour of your, your problems and of the problems of, that are going on in the world, it's completely hopeless. Yes. Um, You'll end up like the people who were building the Tower of Babel, who were desperate to try and build the tower to save themselves, uh, thought they had this great security, but as well, they were. I love that point you pulled out, Willie, they were just so insecure. You know, they were it's megalomania. Yes, megalomania mixed uh-huh. with insecurity. And yeah. that is that again is so often what we see, isn't it? And I mentioned the yeah. you know, the great and the powerful who spend vast amounts on promoting themselves and then have spent vast amounts protecting themselves. Yes. Uh, and, and and you know, you see that on the personal level, you see it on the macro level, isn't it? That you know, with with uh, nations. Mm. Um, and there's an instability in humanity without God mm. because our anchor has been has gone adrift hasn't it um, and yeah it's very easy to look at the world and become utterly pessimistic and nihilistic and there's plenty of that around isn't there and yeah. goodness there's plenty of reason for that um, the alternative to that is somehow you have to sort of pretend it away or hide from it mm. and you know you can do that through Hedonism, you can do it through escapism into fantasy, you can do it through escapism to drugs. I mean, that's one of the huge problems in it's our country, isn't yeah. it? In yeah, our city. Rife, absolutely right. Um, uh, but all of those things are fleeing from reality. But what the Bible allows us to do is not to flee from reality, but to face reality and see, yeah, there is appalling evil. Yeah. But, and a portion the responsibility in the right place you can't blame anybody else for it you've got to blame yourselves for it it's a human problem humanity is responsible for this very real and terrible Mm -hmm. evil and wickedness and all of these things but it's not out of control because ultimately God is sovereign Mm -hmm. Um, and of course that begs the questions well if God is sovereign why does he allow it Um, and that is what uh, the passage in Genesis was telling us, well, God cares for the world. He loves the world. He orders it. He, he's, he's judging it in history in order so it doesn't destroy itself. He won't allow human beings to destroy it. He cares for it, but he will judge evil. And so there are two sides of these things. And um, But that enables us to look at the world with realism, mm-hmm. but not despair, uh, with hope. Because 
God judges in order to save the world, but we have the promise that he won't let it remain like this forever. Um, and there is an ultimate end. There is a solution. There is everything that humankind building their towers of Babel are looking for, but not where they're looking for it. Yeah, deep and lasting hope is not in depopulation or saving the environment um, mm. and, and anything that we can create ourselves or think up ourselves, which sadly a lot of people, I think, are looking to those things as a solution, but it doesn't... Mm. Do no, and I think it's important for us to point out the flaws in these things, and they're deep and many flaws in, but our story is not a negative one. It's a supremely positive yes. one. Yeah. The solutions of humankind are not nearly great enough. That's the issue. The problems are far bigger than we think they are because sin is far more serious than we even begin to understand. But the solution is far greater. Um, And we're not promising a sort of slightly better cleaned up world. The gospel promises a wholly wholly new world, a wholly made new world, a renewed uh, universe, the home of righteousness, where everything is uh, far, far beyond what we could even imagine. That's the that's a great thing. So that, that's why I love that um, the, the, the title of uh, Glenn Harrison's book about sexuality and so on. Uh, uh, I can't remember the name of it. Better a Better Story. story. It's a better story. We have a better story, um, a far greater story, a better hope. And um, that's important. One that we shouldn't apologise for or feel that we, you know, ashamed to bring our friends to. I think I, in the yeah. past, I think I've been guilty of that. I think, uh, whereas I should have absolute confidence and not shrink away from sharing it, the word of God with people. And when you hear stories like the, the person you met on Sunday who hasn't been exposed to much Bible teaching or, you know, is yeah. new to, to the church and new to um, the Bible, it's just such a conviction, isn't it, when yes. they're so excited about coming to church more than you are, you've been a Christian for a long time, because they are seeing so clearly after maybe years of their life being in the darkness, coming in to see life in three dimensions instead of just black and white. And yeah, so I guess it's good to be around people who are like that because it it is infectious and it it is sort of, yeah. We need to be speaking to real non-Christian people because so many times and nearly always you hear people saying if I I think if I was not a Christian I would think yes 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 and I reckon 99 times out of 100 they're wrong yes they feel people's pain for them that the person doesn't feel like that yeah and 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 they have these hesitations that those people do not have mm-hmm. and, and and this is why you get in amongst real non-christian people who are questioning mm-hmm. and who are you know looking for intelligent answers mm-hmm. what you find is they're very engaged. Um, and I think somebody said to me recently, um, it was another Christian leader, and he was saying, you know, I, people can be so, we can be so concerned in the church um, not to put people off. And therefore we pander to the sort of uh, wokeness and political correctness and all these sort of things. We don't want to put people off because we want yes. to get them to hear our message. Yes. And he said that the problem is you're pandering to people who have no interest in the gospel, but you're actually pushing away the people who do have an interest and want to know, but are put off by your pandering. I was quite challenged by that Mm. because I thought, well, you know, that is not, that is not what Jesus did. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Jesus was not afraid Mm -hmm. to put off the people who hated him, (laughs) but the common people heard him gladly. 
Yeah. And I think we need to think about that quite carefully. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so easy to make assumptions on what people will think yeah. instead of actually mm. being bold and courageous and speaking mm. to people. Phil, mm. you haven't you recently joined a karate or like judo club or something? Ah, uh, yeah. How have you found yeah, that? Ninja by it? night, Katie. <laughs> Pasta by day. How have you found that? Like, have people responded? Kung Fu. No, no. I'm glad you're sitting between us, Katie. <laughs> yeah, I'm no. nervous now. Why? Well, my it was really my son Ben was really keen to start try out karate. So I went along with him for a few weeks and watched and thought, I could have a good time. And I've, I've, I've been doing it for about maybe about eight months now. My karate's not any better. And how do people respond to you yeah. because you're a minister and... The do, they, do they smash you to the floor <laughs> with, <laughs> yeah. with a bit more respect? They do, yeah. <laughs> well, with less respect. No, no. no. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're, they want to talk and, uh, you know, I, initially there was a little thought in the back of my head when I was asked, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian minister. You know, there's a bit of fear that kicks into the back of your head. But actually, so... I didn't need to fear that at all. Because people were like, oh, OK, OK. You know, and uh, maybe some of them thought I was a bit odd initially, but maybe that's because I'm just a bit odd. But uh, we, we, you know, we're... I'm, I'm hoping that relationships will grow and grow and I'll get more chance to talk about things with them, about yeah. real-life issues yeah. and talk unashamedly from the perspective of the Bible. Yeah. Of God's word. And Ben's great as well. Children are often the best at reaching out. He just talks unashamedly yeah. to people. They don't people. have the hang-ups that no. a lot of us started to develop mm. when we become Christians. Yeah. Which is so so sad and not, not necessary yeah, at yeah. all. But, uh, no, I think... Yeah, you could pray for me with that. Great. Well, um, I think we'll wrap up, but... Um, for next week, um, Paul's going to be preaching um, on Proverbs on Sunday. And Willie, what are you going to be preaching on? Well, we're continuing Genesis, but uh, we're doing a little, something a little bit different this week because I'm sticking with this whole concept of the city of man. And uh, we're going to trace through Babylon, mm. uh, the city of man in the Bible. Um, we looked at the tragedy of it this week, but we're going to trace it through uh, to its terminus, to its end. And uh, and see how that follows, and then we'll come back one more time uh, as we begin to look at the beginning of Genesis twelve um, to the triumph of the city of God, because that's really the story that begins with the with the call of Abraham. So Fantastic. that's where we're going for the next little while. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, we'll look forward to that. Well, thanks for listening, and hopefully you can join us again next week. Mm-hmm.